98.7 FM. FM, Arizona's sports station. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Then I'll begin. Begin. Okay. Arizona sports goes local. Local. That is awesome. We're giving the mic to local hosts right here in Phoenix. Whoa, snap. Because what's a Saturday without sports? Ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's sports station. Arizona Sports Saturday, and a happy Saturday to all of you out there listening. This is Arizona Sports Saturday, live from the Auction Community Studios. We are your weekend stop for live and local sports talk, alongside Steve Zinsmeister and Trevor Henry. I'm Mitch Veraldis, and we got big news, Steve. We do. We got extended. Oh yeah, well. this week. Who wouldn't love more of us? We got new extensions. Aren't, aren't you excited? So here's the deal, guys. The Arizona Cardinals and all the other teams in the NFL put out their final injury report at about 1.10 this afternoon. Roughly. Like right after 1 o'clock, right? Local time. Local time. We're usually on till 1 o'clock. Here's the deal. We ca- we got really tired of getting off the air and then news breaking. So we decided we're going to go an extra half hour. We're going to give you the absolute latest on what's happening in the final injury report. That might include some roster transactions as it did last ones. week. Yes. Uh, so we'll have the absolute latest and greatest information about the Arizona Cardinals up until 1.30 this afternoon. So big time. We're big time now. Instead of a two-hour show, we are a two-and-a-half-hour well, we, we show. We knew we were big time already. Let's be honest. That's true. That's true. Also, I'm just seeing this. It turns out that the Grand Marshal of the Fiesta Bowl Parade, if I'm reading this correctly, the Fiesta Bowl Parade's Grand Marshal this year is going to be none other than the Voice of the Suns, Al McCoy. Yes, I did hear that this week. That is great news. I love that Al is still Perfect out choice. there. Yeah. Al is is one of a kind. There's nobody like Al. I know that there's been comparisons made to like he's like our own version of Vin Scully. He's just been here forever, and like you could never imagine anyone he's else doing a, the game. He's not a our version of. He no. is Al McCoy. Al is his own entity, and what I love about Al is that I will still see him out in public. Like I will see him here in the building. I'll see him other places, and the people just flock to Al, Al McCoy. So I couldn't be more ecstatic that how how old is Al? He's got to be like late. 80s, right? I think so. And he's still doing the Grand Marshal at the Fiesta Bowl parade. He's kicking butt, man. That's awesome. Yeah. He is awesome. He's he's just got to he's got to beat out Alice Cooper who did it last year, which I think Al can do. I think of the two Al's between Alice Cooper and Al McCoy, I think Al McCoy's got the edge in this one. I used to speak with Al weekly. Uh, when he would come on uh, a radio show that I was producing at the time. And every week I looked forward to talking to Al. And he would always say s- similar things each week. You know, it's it's kind of a repetitive business where it's like you check in with him every week. Hey, Al, I'm going to call you tomorrow. Okay, I'll be here. And I would always pick up the phone and I'd be like, hey, Al, it's Steve. And he'd be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> he would do the same things every week. And okay, I, I'm, I'm lo- ready to okay. go. <laughs> I love Al. I love talking with Al. He's a national treasure. And I'm so glad that he's ours. So I mentioned two names, right? I mentioned Al McCoy, who is Arizona's own. Alice Cooper is also from Arizona. But yes. if you recognize him because he's wearing like a lot of silver and black, and silver and black has most certainly been on the minds of a lot of Cardinals players, coaches, fans this week, because it's time that they head out to Las Vegas and face 
The Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders. Uh, so, first, I feel like we have to provide some context. Yes. I went to the game last week. Not the Raiders oh, game. My the goodness. Cardinals versus Chiefs game, week one. <sighs> Jeez. I will shuddering. say this. I, don't, I might have just been in the wrong section or something, but there were way too many Chiefs fans. Like, way too I don't too think many. it was just your section. It was absurd. And it's one of those things where I went into the game thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to be able to tell which team is which out there because they're both red and white. Mm-hmm. And they're like slightly different tinges of red. But still, for all intents and purposes, same idea, same basic concept. And when I got there and I'm walking the concourse, it's just a sea of red everywhere, which normally is good. But then I started to really pay attention, and while I'm waiting in line for my oversized bucket of popcorn, <laughs> everyone walking by just starts going, oh, and oh my God. Ev- I swear to you, Mitch, everybody, everybody on the concourse started doing it. I could hear it and through I, the radio broadcast. It was I that then loud. realized I was in the wrong place. I was like, I must be on the wrong like, side of the building or I must something. Be in, I must be in Missouri. It was Because crazy. there's no way. It was crazy how many Chiefs fans there were. So aside from that, Obvious uh, recap of week one. Sucked. Patrick Mahomes had all day to do whatever he wanted, and he did. And he tore the defense apart. There was zero pressure created by the Arizona Cardinals defensive line. The pass rush just completely negated the entire game. The Chiefs basically said to all the doubters who thought, oh, they might be the odd man out because they lost so much this offseason. They were like, "Uh, no, we've still got Patrick Mahomes. So take that, jerk face. Andy Reid had the opportunity to just draw up whatever he wanted in that game. There was, what was the play um, near the end zone? I think it was for a touchdown, not an extra point or whatever. The fourth down play? The one where Patrick Mahomes basically faked the reverse handoff, turned around, and then just kind of shovel passed. Oh, the one to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? It was an underhand shovel pass. And I thought to myself, that's the Larry Fitzgerald play from Carson Palmer from Carson Palmer against the Packers in the playoffs I was like that's the same basic concept except the Chiefs do that like once a week but Patrick Mahomes literally just underhanded it it was like a pitcher underhanding the ball to first base when they're you know too close to the bag to throw it yeah it was like that and it was almost demoralizing I was no, sitting there. It, it wasn't almost it was demoralizing I was sitting there next to uh, one of our coworkers and a friend of mine and we both just had our head in our hands because it was demoralizing to watch Patrick Mahomes throw a one-yard pass for a touchdown, and he just kind of underhanded it. Like a grandma, basically. Yeah. Or a grandpa. Let's, Literally let's be fair. Literally anybody could have made that throw. <sighs> and it, no one was even close to the guy. He just waltzed right through the defensive line. All right, case in point. The Chiefs reminded everybody that they're still the Chiefs. And they did so again on Thursday. Let's not forget, they've already played twice this year, and they're 2-0. and The Chiefs are reminding everybody, like, hey, we're still that team that's won the AFC West year after year after year after year and has been in the AFC championship game for the last five years in a row. Like, they're still the Chiefs. And I know there is this narrative. You and I talked about it last week, last Saturday, going into the game, how there were so many injuries and how there were a lot of question marks. And you and I talked a lot about Rondell Moore. If he's, you know, he's not going to be out there. So Andy Isabella is going to get an opportunity. Well, that no. didn't really happen. Yeah. 
kind of was looking for him the whole game. You kind of need to put him on the field if he's going to have an opportunity. I saw one particular play that I remember where Kyler tried to find him near the sideline, and it was an incomplete pass, almost an interception. And it was the only time I remember the entire game thinking, hey, there's Andy Isabella. Yep. And he didn't even catch the ball. Yep. So now we're looking at an injury report going into week two where there's still going to be a lot of questions. I mean, it's some of the same questions. Offensive line, Justin Pugh. Here's Cliff Kingsbury yesterday. I hope so. Hopefully the next uh, 48 hours he feels good and um, we get him out there Sunday and work him out. He's, he's ready to go. Wide receiver situation's relatively the same on Rondale. He's out. On Andy <laughs> Isabella. He's out. out. Uh, out. So that's not promising. Out. And then this one. This one might be the one that worries me the most. Jalen Thompson. Game time. Yeah. Same deal. We'll get him out there Sunday, run him around and see if he can he can do it. Yeah, that this was already this was already a weak defensive backfield. And now one of your two best, and both of them being safeties. We obviously know Buddha and Jalen are the two best defensive backmen they have. One of them might not even play. And let's not forget who this Raiders team has now. Devontae Adams. But even beyond that, they've still got Hunter Renfro, who was not targeted a whole lot against the Chargers. But they also have Darren Waller. Pretty sure he had 100 catches last year. And if we saw how Travis Kelsey basically mutilated Isaiah Simmons this past week, if that matchup happens again, how many times does Derek Carr go to the well there? This is not shaping up well again for the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals' injury situation at two key positions reflects poorly on the fact that you've got these huge acquisitions that the Raiders had. You talk about Devontae Adams against the corners. I'll flip the script a little bit. Okay. How about Chandler Jones against this offensive line? And I, I realize Chandler Jones is more of an outside player than an inside player, but if Sean Harlow has to replace Justin Pugh again, I don't feel too good about that. No. And... While I acknowledge that it's probably going to be a lot of matchups with DJ Humphreys and maybe Kelvin Beecham on the other side. Beecham, by the way, uh, got some rest and didn't practice on Wednesday. He's going to play. But I didn't feel great about Beecham either on Sunday. There was one play in particular. I know this this clip was going around on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it of the coach Jason Brown from uh, what was that TV show on Netflix? Uh, Last, Last Chance U. Yeah. yeah, the highly disliked coach Jason Brown like mm. put a Twitter video together basically calling out Kyler Murray for not adjusting on a play and just and not totally recognizing sacked. that there's a cornerback that's just about to blitz you so right. maybe have the tight end wait a second right and I, I actually put more of the onus there on Kelvin Beecham because he slid in to basically the guard position and he and the right guard are basically blocking the same person and so I didn't feel great it's one instance right it's one play but at the same time, you're about to face one of the most dynamic pass rushes in the NFL. And a guy that you know very, very well what he's capable of in Chandler Jones. And I don't feel too particularly great about how the offensive line played last week. And I'm not going to feel good about how they play this week. Somehow, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones acquired zero sacks last week. That won't remain the same. There's no way. Especially with how beat up this line is. Like, I get it. You still have DJ and Kelvin healthy, so your edges are supposed to be the strongest on your line. But it's not shaping up well at all. On the defensive line, by the way, J.J. Watt, still questionable. Go figure. And last week I made a bold prediction he was going to play, and he was going to play well, and he didn't end up playing. And it's not like I regret that saying that or anything like that. He's going to come back eventually. We know that. But 
to see him on the report again. It's it's just it's kind of infuriating. Really quickly before we get out of here, just in case we missed anybody. Uh, so Jalen Thompson, J.J. Watt, Trayvon Mullen, the cornerback who was acquired by the Raiders, who still has not played yet, and Justin Pugh are all questionable. And then Andy Isabella and Rondale Moore are the only members of the Cardinals that are out. Talk about an opportunity for Greg Dortch, who Seriously. saw most of the snaps last week that I thought Andy Isabella and was now he's get. your number three receiver, and he's probably going to work out of the slot a lot. And you know, he played okay. In that game, he got a lot of attention. He was their leading receiver, if I remember right, in terms of catches. Um, but I really thought this was an opportunity for Andy Isabella. And I'm not saying that the in, the back injury isn't serious. I mean, it sounds like it is. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, man, you want to talk about an opportunity for Isabella to perform, this would have been it. Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver has been suspended. Is it the correct punishment, though? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Hey, thanks for checking out the show. It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis with you on a college football Saturday. Mostly blowouts right now. 42 to 7, Oklahoma over Nebraska. Turns out Scott Frost wasn't the only issue. What was the other one? Like Georgia's up 28 nothing on USC. Not that USC. Uh, South Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah. With uh, former Arizona quarterback, not Arizona, former former player pinnacle, from Arizona, Spencer Rattler. pinnacle high school quarterback. There right. you go. That's what you want. A lot of blowouts in college football right now, so we won't bore you with that. It no. was the week that we'd been looking towards for a long time. We finally got the notification about what was going on with the NBA and Robert Sarver this week. They announced the punishment. He's suspended for a year. $10 million fine, which is a maximum penalty that the league can hand down. Or the maximum fine. They could have suspended him longer. They did not. There was a 43-page report mm-hmm. uh, listing all of the things that they found that he did wrong. Within that, there is a lot of him using the N-word, which is not okay. They specifically uh, pointed out five occasions, I believe. Yeah, and it's important to draw this line in the sand. He never said it demeaningly to a person, it was always in reference to somebody else saying it. So I think that needs to be clarified. According to the report and the extensive investigation by the law firm. Right. So there was that. There was mistreatment of employees, both male and female. Uh, There's a lot of stuff in there. And a lot of it's not okay. Bad stuff. It's not okay. Really bad stuff. And so he gets suspended for a year. He gets the $10 million fine, which is really just a drop in the bucket for somebody that rich, I would think. Yes. And now the other dominoes are starting to fall. Mm -hmm. We got reaction from LeBron James on Twitter. We got reaction from Chris Paul on Twitter, both basically saying it's not okay. Can't do any of these things. Not acceptable. Then the PayPal thing happens yesterday. Where PayPal is the sponsor on the Suns jerseys. Yes. The patch. More than just the jersey, too, we should point out that, like, PayPal does have significant, you know, uh, par- has, has a significant partnership with the Suns. It's not just, oh, we sure. have our name on the jersey. Right. There's different ways you can, like, pay for food right. through PayPal at the arena, buy tickets through PayPal. It's more than just the jersey patch. It's like a, the most visual way you could correct see their name or whatever in the arena. It's, you yes. see it on their jerseys. Exactly. Um, they came out with a statement that basically says... If he stays, we go, meaning Robert Sarver. Yeah, I got it for you right here. Uh, This is from their president and CEO, Dan Shulman. Uh, Quote, 
We've reviewed the report of the NBA League's independent investigation into Suns owner Robert Sarver and have found his conduct unacceptable and in conflict with our values. PayPal sponsorship with the Suns is set to expire at the end of the current season. In light of the findings of the NBA's investigation, we will not renew our sponsorship should Robert Sarver remain involved with the Suns organization after serving his suspension. Close quote. There's more, but let's just start right there. So they're staying for the year. Maybe part of it is because it's too late to kind of back out now. But look, if you're a company that really, really cares about this kind of thing, I think you would have taken a more drastic action sooner. But maybe at the at the end of it all, should Sarver be back in his same position after this year's suspension is done, the jersey's not going to have the PayPal logo. And you probably won't have all these other different things you can do with buying Suns merch or buying Suns food at the arena with PayPal after this season. That's where it stands right now. Adam Silver's press conference the other day was particularly interesting. I know a lot of people were frustrated just listening to it because he had to he had the very tough task of going up there and defending his punishment for an owner that a lot of people think should not be an owner of an NBA team anymore. Mm-hmm. That that basically they should have done what they did with Donald Sterling. Totally different situation, totally different accusations and things that he did privately and publicly. And remember things that he said even after we found out about what he was right. accused of doing. Adam Silver went up there and I, it, I listened to the press conference and I felt like he wanted to say a lot of things that he couldn't. It felt like there were several times where he said, listen, I have context that you guys just don't. I know things from the interviews that happened that you guys just don't. And then he referenced and said, hey, part of my decision making on this was the fact that a lot of the people we interviewed had good things to say about Robert. And I understand that all of that context has to be put into the decision. But a lot of people are upset with the fact that Robert Sarver is still going to be the owner at the end of the day. He may be gone for a year. He may not be allowed to associate with the Suns. But as as we've talked about on the station already, if they decide to make a trade for Kevin Durant midseason, does Robert really not get to share his opinion on that? Is he, is he really excluded entirely from that decision-making process? Right. Like, how suspended is he actually? It was a discussion that happened a lot on Burns and Gamble this week. Like, yeah, he's suspended, but... Uh, Gamble was saying that he had talked to someone within the league and saying, oh, but don't think for a second that Sarver's not going to be involved this year. Well, and they named a new chairman, uh, interim chair, whatever you call that. Sam Garvin. Who, I mean, I'm not making any sort of accusation here. I'm just saying that, like, is he not going to have any interaction with Robert Sarver over the next year? I can't imagine that to be the case. Here's, Here's another aspect of the choice of Garvin. So to explain... Sam Garvin is already a member of the Board of Governors with the Suns. He is now essentially the Robert Sarver for this year. This wasn't just like, oh, Sarver got to make this pick and that was it. Sarver made the pick, but then Adam Silver had to approve the pick. And whether or not Garvin was the first or second or third or fifth or whatever choice he was, that we do not know. All that we do know is that Adam Silver approved this choice. We do know that Sam Garvin stood with the Suns ownership group that stated in defense of Robert Sarver. Remember, because there were some owners who were on the opposite side of the Sarver side saying, like, we find these we find these findings in the report disturbing enough where we don't want him in charge. And then there's the other group that stood with Robert Sarver and said that 
you know, these are wholly untrue. But now that we know that they are true, I find it interesting that Adam Silver would, again, allow somebody who originally stood on the vehement denial side to be in charge of this organization going forward. So for those of you, I I, I do feel that there is, particularly in Phoenix, there is uh, a lot of negative energy around Robert Sarver as an owner, and there has been for a long time. Long time. Long before this even became a thing. I understand that a lot of people just want to see him go. They just want him to sell the team. But it's not that simple, as Adam Silver laid out. I mean, there are different rights that an owner of a business has as opposed to an employee. And I know that that's difficult to hear, but it's just true when there's money involved, right? And he owns a business. So there's three ways that he could be forced to sell the team. I don't know that any of them are considered likely. I would say probably not. But some but of there them are three ways. Some of them are starting to happen as we're about to discuss it. There are three ways. Way number one is public pressure. And you've already seen some of that. You've seen players come out. The NBPA also talked about how the players of the NBA don't want him to be an owner. Fans could stop going to games. They could stop buying jerseys. I don't think that's very likely because I think most fans go to an NBA game to see the team, not to support ownership. Um, But that's one way. If more sponsors pull out, that's public pressure. That could be way number one. Way number two, minority ownership. More my own minority owners could come out and they could call for a vote and say, hey, he breached the contract with all the other minority owners. That's another way he could get forced out. More than just John Najafi, who released his statement calling for Sarver to resign from his role right. earlier this week. Right. If there were more minority owners that came into that and said, hey, let's call a vote, that's possible. Don't think it's likely. And way number three is the rest of the owners in the NBA. Mm-hmm. The other 29 teams could get together and they could call a vote. Now, in talking with Monica Lindstrom, our legal analyst here at the stations, uh, she said this is the most likely way that that happens, but only because it's happened before. Right. With Donald Sterling. Different situation. Clearly a racist. Owning he, a team in a league that's 80 plus percent black players. He was also banned for life, so it probably made it a lot easier for the other owners to say, all right, well, if he's not allowed back, then there's no point in him owning this team. They would need a 75 percent vote from all the owners to get him kicked out of his own organization. I don't think that's likely. And I'll tell you why, because I think that some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff Sterling did was so abhorrent and so bad that everyone around the league looked at it and said, we just can't, we can't have that anywhere near our business. When people look, I think when other owners in the NBA look at the Sarver report, there's so much in there and there's a lot of it's bad, really bad. And then there's some stuff that's maybe not like fireable offense, but not acceptable for the workplace. And I think a lot of those owners are going to look at that stuff and say, am I really going to be the one to call a vote It's against Robert Sarver when maybe I've done some of that stuff too? It's 30 teams, right? So are there 30 in the league? So are there 25 owners or ownership groups that are willing to say, yes, we don't want him in charge anymore? Are there 25 of those? And you're voting for a precedent. Yeah. Your precedent you're setting is we're willing to get rid of this owner because he did some inappropriate stuff in the workplace. Do you think out of those 29 other owners that they're all perfect human beings that have never said anything incorrect or have never treated somebody differently than another person? And will that mean as a result, will any of the other owners be forced out or have to step down or will other investigative reports come out about these other diff- these other ownership groups? I mean, we saw it with the yeah. Hawks. 
It wasn't just the L.A. Clippers and Donald Sterling. We also saw it with the Hawks not too long ago and their workplace misconduct and their owner being disrespectful and racist and all of those things. So it couldn't possibly be that Sarver is the only one. I don't like the punishment here. I think it needed to be more. But at the same time, I I look around and it's just increasingly difficult to force him to sell the team. Those are three ways it could happen. I don't know that any of them are really all that likely. Coming up next, another stellar debut for a young Diamondback starting pitcher, and it happened to be against the Padres. It always seems like it's against the Padres. It leads me to another question, though. Is the highest paid player on the Diamondbacks team no longer with a role going forward? We'll get into that next. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass wearing what? Is that an Eastern Michigan t-shirt, Trevor? It is. I was going to say that green E looked too familiar. I thought you were a straight up Michigan fan. Well, I went to grad school at Eastern Michigan. Oh. And I serve as a, a grad assistant for the basketball team and the football team. Oh, wow. So you're going to the game tonight, or are you just going to watch at home with the fam? Yeah, I'm going to the game. We all go to the game. Oh, nice. Nice. Where are you sitting? We're on the visitor side, like section. I'll tell you in a second. I pull it up on my phone. No worries. I'm just curious, lower bowl or upper bowl, so when you see Eastern Michigan get trounced by the Sun Devils today. Oh, it's definitely a lower bowl, but uh, yeah, I definitely see a, a <laughs> nice little bowl open by Eastern. It sounds like you're conflicted with your fandom of Michigan. That's what it sounds like to me. I took, a class, I took a class at Michigan. Did I come? Basically, you're, you're the, wavering. The question is, is like, do you like green or do you like blue more? That's really what I want to know, Trev. I, I'm, a, I'm a blue guy. <laughs> go blue. You can't go wrong. Trevor Henry, our Michigan resident, great producer, great tracks, great lyricist, all the great things about Trevor Henry. Quick divergent there because I was just distracted by his shirt, but I've also been distracted lately by these just every every week. It seems like the Diamondbacks just call up some dude who I've never heard of because I don't pay enough attention to the minor leagues. And then he goes out and throws seven shutout innings against the Padres. And that literally happened again two days ago when Dre Jameson pitched on Thursday. Well, luckily for you, Mitch, I watch too much of the minor leagues. I pay too close of attention to oh. it. Dre Jameson uh, was drafted in 2019 by the Diamondbacks. That was the year that they had seven of the top 75 picks. Mm-hmm. He was a first-round guy at a ball state. He throws hard. He's a right-hander. Um, as a college pitcher, it only took him three years to get up to the majors. So... Really interesting year, right? You've got Tommy Henry who came up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He got, I think he's got like seven starts in the majors already. He's back in AAA now. Uh, Dre Jamison, you just mentioned, had a seven innings of scoreless ball this past uh, start. Ryan Nelson came up, also had seven innings of scoreless ball. He's at 13 straight scoreless innings, too. Last year, you had Tyler Gilbert, who threw a no-hitter against the Padres. These are all against the Padres, by the way. And they all seem to be like August or September, too, right? Right. So (laughs) the Diamondbacks have this influx of young talent, particularly in the starting rotation in the last couple of weeks. And it's starting to get me thinking about what the future looks like. I don't think you're the only one thinking it, but... Are you the only one thinking that this is just what the Diamondbacks need to move Madison Bumgarner out? 
Yeah, so li- listen, for context, Madison Bumgarner's not been good. He's out there throwing batting practice, essentially, to guys. There are a lot of good pitchers who, when they get older, like Zach Greinke, for example, who they don't throw hard, but they find other ways to get guys out. Exactly. They're really good at sequencing pitches. Uh, Greinke mixes speeds a ton. He finds locations that, that you're not expecting. Madison Bumgarner, I, I, I think for a long time in this league, had elite talent. And now that it's just kind of age is catching up, I think, and he hasn't adjusted super well. Nope. And it's not a huge knock on him. I still think he's a legendary pitcher in this game. 100%. He just hasn't been good this year. Nope. And next season, he's due $23 million, which is by far the highest paid player on the entire team. Uh, Highest paid by $12 million, according to SpotTrack. So it's Madison Bumgarner. Here's who's guaranteed on the books for next year for the Dimebacks. Bumgarner. Cassell Marte, who's going to make 11, could make up to 11.5 million. This is another interesting one, too, that we should talk about. Nick Ahmed is due 10 million next year and has a signing bonus of 375,000 for that year as well. But Geraldo Perdomo has played significantly better defensively. You just got Emmanuel Rivera and Sergio Alcantara, of all people, is. You know, a great defensive replacement, and he's actually had some surprising at-bats, like the home run against the Padres the other day. I, With Ahmed, and especially with Lawler, probably one or even a half year away from the big leagues, it might be time to move off of him, too. So when I look at the starting rotation, and with all these young guys coming up, the easy thing to say after watching one or two starts from Dre and, and, and Ryan is... Oh, these guys could replace the back end of your rotation next year. Maybe even force out Madison Baumgartner, right? They're better than he is. They appear to be, at least, in their small sample size of games. Yes. Uh, my initial reaction is slow your roll a little bit. We've seen Dre once. We've seen Ryan, I think, twice. And I think we've seen Tommy Henry like seven times. And he's been roughed up. I don't think that they're necessarily forcing Madison out. Because as things stand right now, Zach Granke's your ace next year. Merrill Kelly is a pretty solid two if not three, depending on free agency and things like that. And Madison Baumgartner is probably your three, four, or five pitcher in your in your rotation. He's owed so much money that he has a spot on this team next year, despite how poorly he's played. But, like, does he have to? Does he does have, he have to? to be guaranteed a spot next year? That's a good question. So I think a lot of fans would like for the Diamondbacks to go out and find that Zach Greinke trade again, where you're sending the contract and the player away, and maybe I have to spend some of it. I mean, he's owed 23 next year, 14 the year after that. By my math, that's $37 million, plus $15 million deferred over the next three years. Like for a franchise that refuses to actually spend money on the players that are worth keeping, you've got to move off of this somehow. So there's what, $50-plus million left. I think it's like $52 million or something like that is left on the contract. I'd love to find an ideal trade partner where he gets a good opportunity and he gets obviously paid the way he deserves to be paid over his career and the Diamondbacks get off of most of the contract opening up another spot for one of these youngsters is that possible yeah it's possible is it likely I don't think so not the way he's playing right now I don't know who wants to take on a 23 million dollar salary next season for a guy who's throwing batting practice out there well then it might be time to have a discussion where you sit down and I mean Here's here's a good guy he could talk to, Ian Kennedy, or even Daniel Hudson if he wants to go that far. It might be time to have that conversation where Bumgarner does us no good if we have to throw him out for multiple innings. 
But what if we threw him out for like one or two innings once every few days? Make him a bullpen guy? Is it time to make Madison Bumgarner a bullpen guy? If you're stuck uh, with him money-wise, you've got to make the most of him. And I don't think the most of him is trying to get six or seven innings out of him anymore. I think those days are behind him. I think the most of him that you're going to be able to get is if, especially to your point, if he doesn't want to just become a control pitcher or a savant or an artist with his pitches because the velocity is way down, give him less innings. Maybe, maybe you can do what the Rays are doing. Jeffrey Springs goes out there for an inning, and then you bring in Ryan Yarbrough later. Is that an analytical move? I don't know. My my initial reaction to your question of do you make him a bullpen arm is this is a guy who won three rings, who was World Series MVP. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We need to stop having that conversation now, though. I know it was so that long was 2014. ago. But how do you, it would be so difficult as an organization to go face to face with Madison Bumgarner and say to his face, you are no longer a starting pitcher. Even if you have the numbers to back it up, it's just, are you really going to be the one to go to LeBron James and say, you're no longer a starting player, you are now a bench guy? You, it's a weird analogy, but... Do you want this team to succeed? Yeah, of course. Or do you want one guy to be happy just because he's not getting moved into the bullpen? It's not that you do it because it makes him happy. It's that some guys just can't be demoted like that to the bullpen. And also, keep in mind, we don't know that a bullpen experiment would work. The Diamondbacks have a weird track record when it comes to is this guy a starter or is he a reliever because we've seen in the past where a lot of young pitchers coming up through this organization have to use the bullpen as a training ground to get to the starting rotation and it's not always easy Archie Bradley was the top starting pitching prospect in baseball and ended up being a reliever and there were a lot of reasons that that happened but it happened and especially if you have we just talked about Dre Jameson Tommy Henry and uh, Ryan Nelson. There's a lot more guys to come. There are some really good starting pitchers in the minor leagues, particularly a guy named Brandon Fought in AAA, who's phenomenal. His yeah, numbers are phenomenal. Him yet. And he's pitching well in Reno. Nobody pitches well in Reno. That's a hitter's league. There's other guys, too. Bryce Jarvis was a first-round pick. Slade Ciccone's still in the minor leagues. There are other starters still to come. Blake Walston. Blake Walston. Some of these guys are going to end up being relievers. But you have to give him enough opportunity to know, is it worth trying this guy as a starter for a while before we make that tough decision to put them in the bullpen long term? I would rather make that call about a 24-year-old prospect than a 30-plus-year-old three-time World Series champion, Madison Bumgarner. But right now, I'm far more confident in six guys before I'm confident in Madison Bumgarner. One of those guys hadn't even pitched in the majors yet, and I'm more confident in him. I don't know. Does moving him to the bullpen lower his trade value? No, I think it increases it. Because I look at a scenario uh, with David Price, where David Price was a top-notch starting well, pitcher in this league for a long time, got paid handsomely. I think he makes over $30 million a year. And then the Dodgers threw him in the bullpen, and now he's getting paid $30 million to do nothing. But the Dodgers did that. The Red Sox did not do that before they traded him. The Dodgers did that. Because the Dodgers knew that they weren't going to get that same David Price anymore. And I think at this point in his career, and at that time, David Price was just willing to do anything to stay on the roster for his pay. Is Madison Baumgartner willing to make that same sacrifice? I don't know. I'm looking at his stats by inning right now. In 29 first innings. Okay. He has an ERA of 621. Oh. So even right out of the gate this Not year, good. he's getting killed. Right. 
Second inning, a 514 ERA in 28 innings. Third inning, 28 of them, 514 ERA. It's not until he gets to the fourth and the fifth inning that the ERA even goes below four. But doesn't that go against your argument, though? That he pitches his best the second or third time through the lineup. Not necessarily. Because as a, as a bullpen guy, you're only getting one time at most. He might only get one batter in some cases. Right. You just throw him in at the end of an inning to get that one out, and then you don't bring him back again. Think about Ian Kennedy. When he started to go downhill as a starter, they eventually moved him into the bullpen. He had top five amounts of saves last year between the Rangers and the Phillies. Yeah. Like... Well, Mark Melanson led the league in saves last season. It's worth a shot. But right now, it's time to look at week two NFL games. We're going to go around the NFL next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday takes you around the NFL. It is my favorite segment every Saturday where we get to go around the NFL, take a look at the matchups this week. We already saw one beautiful Thursday night matchup where a man with a cracked rib was able to throw a deep ball downfield. Incredible what Justin Herbert was able to do. Unfortunately, Chargers on the short end of a 27-24 loss to the Chiefs. We're now 2-0, Chargers now 1-1, and there's a lot more games to look at. So here's what we do. We don't predict scores or anything like that. That's boring. Steve's going to tell you why you should watch this game. And then I'm going to tell you who's going to have a fantasy breakout performance. Are you ready, Steve? I'm totally ready. Jets at the Browns, a banger to start the slate. I know it's not going to sound like a sexy reason to watch a game, but this is the battle of backup quarterbacks. Joe Flacco filling in uh, for Wilson. You've got Brissett still playing for Deshaun Watson. And I know backups are boring in the NFL typically. Yes. And I know these two organizations are not particularly strong. But I think that this is a battle of two guys who are trying to prove themselves. I like when players have some motivation behind why they should be playing better. And these are two guys that I think are fighting for positions on other teams in coming seasons. This is a Browns team that actually showed why they're good offensively. And it started with the running backs. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. It's a hard call, but I still think that Nick Chubb's going to have one of those games where he just bowls through the Jets defense. Granted, they have Robert Sala and the Jets looked pretty good against the Ravens despite their loss. But I think this is going to be Nick Chubb's true breakout game. Commanders at the Lions. Carson Wentz with the comeback win yesterday or last week against the Jaguars. And I think he's the storyline here. Carson Wentz on a new team. He's gotten passed around the NFL in his young career. Very last young. Last week, 300 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, yeah. he found Curtis Samuel a lot. He's got that relationship with Terry McLaurin. I think that the Commanders' offense could be really impressive this season. Saw a great outing from Jahan Dotson, who was kind of the forgotten first-round receiver in the NFL draft this year. He had two touchdowns and seems to be a favorable target for Carson Wentz. I'd keep an eye on him again in this game. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. Spoiler alert, the Buccaneers are good. This one gets (laughs) tricky, though. I actually think that my storyline is on the other side. It's with the Saints. Okay. Michael Thomas is good at football. Oh, my gosh. Have we forgotten? Barely played in the last couple of years, and he comes back and has two touchdowns in his first game. I think Michael Thomas is somebody that maybe we overlooked a little bit. Also, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't Michael Thomas go to Ohio State? 
Yeah. This feels pretty like much a- every player I've mentioned this segment so far. <laughs> Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Everybody goes to Ohio State. Well, I'll tell you what. Michael Thomas proved that he's back, and he also proved why he should be in your lineup every single week, especially because Jameis Winston is definitely the competent quarterback of the two on that roster. Carolina Panthers, who almost had it last week against the Cleveland Browns, against the New York Giants coming fresh off of a win over the Titans. Here's another one that's kind of like Michael Thomas. Maybe we we kind of let this, this slip a little. Saquon Barkley. He's just always been hurt. At one time, widely considered the best running back in the league, and maybe he is the most talented running back in the league. Last week, 18 carries, 164 yards, and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley might be the most talented player in the NFL. He just gets hurt a lot. He might be. Can he replicate that performance? I don't know. I will say this, though. Daniel Jones has got to throw to somebody, and it looks like the favorable target is starting to become that of Sterling Shepard, which we shouldn't be surprised, but Sterling Shepard had a pretty good performance against the Titans last week. I'd look to him again to do it this week. New England Patriots against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, this one has an over-under of 40 and a half. This one, I don't like it offensively. Uh, I think the headline here for me is that the Steelers are going to be without T.J. Watt, who's one of the most dynamic players Huge. in the entire league. Uh, for that reason alone, I kind of give the edge to the Patriots. That's a huge loss. Massive. I mean, like, I know the Cardinals have been without J.J. Watt a lot, but T.J. is on another level the last couple of seasons. So this one's tough offensively. So then you turn to defense, and as Steve mentioned, you don't have T.J. Watt for Pittsburgh. Ouch. But do you like New England's defense better? No, not really. I think this is going to be still a good performance by Pittsburgh's D. Taking taking a look at a AFC South divisional matchup. My God, the AFC South is brutal. The top two teams in the AFC South after one week are 0-0-1, which is a tie in this game at the Jaguars. A lot of eyes are going to be on Jonathan Taylor, obviously. 30 carries last week, 31 carries last week, 161 yards and a score. He's going to get his load. But look at the other side of the field. Look on the other sideline. you got a lot of weapons in Jacksonville. And I'm not saying that they're going to the playoffs or anything like that, but I think the Jaguars are going to be a lot better this year. And who got overlooked a ton last week? Former Cardinal Christian Kirk. Yes, he did. Six catches, 117 yards. James Robinson had another really good game. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, Jaguars. I'll tell you this much. The Colts are going to be without Michael Pittman, and they had another receiver that's going to be ruled out for this game. So if you've got receivers on the Colts, I apologize. Don't use any of them. Jonathan Taylor is going to carry in this one. Hopefully the Colts to a win as well. The Miami Dolphins at the Baltimore Ravens. Tua Tungavailoa said in a press conference this week, if I can't see you, you can't see me, and I'm not throwing you the ball. Oh, boy. That seems like a bad thing to say if you're a short quarterback. But what about his short receiver? He's got a couple. Tyreek Hill's not very tall. Jalen Waddle's not particularly tall. Oh, man. This one, this one's a stinker. I, th- I think in general, if you have Lamar Jackson, you're in good shape. The uh, rushing attack of the Ravens, it'll be J.K. Dobbins' first week. How much will he actually do? I don't know. But I would still trust Lamar Jackson the most out of a lot of the guys that are playing in this game. Atlanta Falcons at the L.A. Rams. couple of 0-1 teams. The Rams are trying to figure out, is there a way we can get Cooper Cup the ball on every play? He got 13 catches last week, 128 yards and a touchdown. But Cam Akers barely touched the ball. Allen Robinson barely touched the ball. Yep. So I think the Rams are trying to figure out, is there a way we can just directly snap to Cooper? Like, can we just avoid, just get rid of Matt Stafford. Get rid of the middleman. 
Cordero Patterson is going to continue to be that guy that you wish you had drafted in fantasy, oh. and he's just going to obliterate you week after week after week. I wish I picked him. And he's going to do it again against this Rams defense. In the division, Seattle Seahawks against the San Francisco 49ers. Is Geno Smith really that guy? No. He played no. pretty well. I'm just going to tell you right now, no, I don't he, see it. He looked like an NFL quarterback. While everyone was booing Russell Wilson, Geno Smith actually stepped up and played pretty well. I was surprised. I was surprised, too. And good for him. He did not write back, as he said. Um, San Francisco 49ers never seem to have a problem when it comes to running backs. So Jeff Wilson Jr. is the obvious pick for me in this one. Cincinnati Bengals against the Dallas Cowboys. Don't touch the cow. I'm just going to tell you right now, don't touch anybody on the Cowboys. Didn't Joe Burrow throw four interceptions last week? Four. Does that worry anybody else? No. Yeah, I feel like there's really just no attention paid to that. Joe Burrow threw a lot of interceptions. I'm going to highlight that and say that that's not great, but Joe Burrow strikes me as the kind of guy that watches the tape of him throwing four interceptions, Mm -hmm. and it leads to him throwing like seven touchdowns the next week. So if you don't have Jamar Chase, I will tell you it sounds like T. Higgins is not going to play, so maybe look at a Tyler Boyd. That might be a nice option if you don't have Jamar Chase. Denver Broncos return home. They're going to host the Houston Texans. Russell Wilson wasn't bad while he he was not bad. He was not great. I just feel like he's kind of the butt of most of the jokes in the NFL right now. He was practicing high fives last week. (laughs) Um, I I want cringe Russell Wilson to stop so I can just talk about football Russell Wilson. I know you're not going to like this as a Broncos fan, Mitch, but I think maybe the Broncos are one of those teams we highly overrate this season. Because they finally got a real quarterback, and that was all they were really missing. And I feel like maybe they're not going to be that good. Seems feasible. I ain't worried yet. And this should be an easy matchup this week against Houston. And I like the ground attack that Denver has put together. Javante Williams. I agree. I'm expecting the breakout game for him. Uh, The local team, the Arizona Cardinals in Sin City, taking on the Raiders. Chandler Jones, say it with me. Revenge Revenge game. game. I think that Chandler could have a huge impact in this one. I mean, he's playing with a much better pass rushing unit in Las Vegas than he did in Arizona. That's my guy that I'm watching. I'm going to tell you that if Isaiah Simmons has to cover Darren Waller like he covered Travis Kelsey this past week, Darren Waller is going to obliterate the middle of the field. Chicago Bears at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. Didn't Aaron Rodgers say something last year like, I own you or something like that about the Bears? Remember he when he went st- into the end zone? He might still own them. He's like, I own you. Yeah, no, I th- will there's say no though, doubt. He still owns them. I will say, though, the Packers are looking up at the Bears in the division right now. If after one week. Hey, a week can make a big difference. And you know who else is going to make a big difference? A.J. Dillon, who scored the only touchdown for the Packers last week. He is a fantastic fantasy value pick. Double dip on Monday night to close this out. The Tennessee Titans at the Buffalo Bills. I think Josh Allen might win the MVP. I think Josh Allen might win every single game this season. How's that for an overreaction after week one? I think he's going to win the MVP. I think they're going to be undefeated. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's like, I, I realize we're overreacting, but at the same time, don't count out the Titans. They won a lot of games last season when it was really close. Yeah, but the offense is severely weakened this year, so I really like the Bills' defense in this one, especially after what they did to L.A. last week. And then the primetime matchup, Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is actually a really intriguing game. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Justin Jefferson, nine catches, 184 yards, and two touchdowns last week. If you thought that the guys at the top of your fantasy league draft for wide receiver were questionably elite. No, they're all elite. This is why you don't question them anymore. Running backs are so severely weakened in this one. If you have Justin Jefferson, point him out to your friends. Make fun of them for not taking him.